0: Well, hey, good morning. Welcome. I, I want to especially welcome all the newcomers, all the visitors this morning, everybody watching for the first time online. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. And uh, my name is Greg, just one of the pastors. And I want to let you know that we are in the series called What We Believe. And uh, really quick before we get into today's message, I want to just acknowledge that a couple weeks ago, uh, we, we all heard as a nation that the Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. And that was a historical, monumental decision. And later on in the service, I want to say something about that and give you something to look forward to in the weeks to come regarding that. And uh, we we want to make sure we address it, address it biblically, and talk about it as a church. Okay, so that's going to come up later in the service. Uh, But today, I want to start off by asking you to participate with me. Show of hands and raise your hand proud. How many people here enjoy freebies. How many people love free stuff? Amen? My brothers and my sisters, thank you. I like free stuff. And so once in a while, I will go onto Craigslist. I don't know if you know that Craigslist has a free section, and I'll just kind of see what's out there for free, because it is true that one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? So, so I, I just want to show you some things I found in recent weeks that's up there for free I don't know if it's still there because these are pretty good deals. So here's what I found. The first thing I found is a Thermador refrigerator. Now, I don't know if you guys know about fridges, but if you've ever done research because you're doing a kitchen remodel, Thermador is top of the line. This model is like $10,000 if it's in full working condition. So you might want to jump on that. I found another very generous person. This person is giving away free yogurt cups used yogurt cups. They're used, but they assure you they've been washed. So if you need yogurt cups, maybe someone could hook up Pastor Gary to accompany his used uh, tofu containers that he eats cereal with. And then check this out. Somebody is giving away bees. Apparently, they said there's a hive on the side of their house. You just have to come and get it yourself. But hey, what a generous person. And so, if you like freebies, here you go. Literally, free bees for you, okay? So, so that's on, on Craigslist right now. But I want to share with you this morning this lady who, a few weeks ago in the news, she actually came up with a really good find on Craigslist. Check out what this lady found.
1: When Vicki Umodu moved into her new home in Colton, she needed furniture, so she went looking for some online. I decided to go to Craigslist. And as she scrolled through Craigslist, she found two sofas and a matching chair that someone was giving away for free. I said, oh, maybe it's a gimmick, That I just say, let me call them. Turns out, she said the family offering these couches had just lost a loved one. And so they were just going through the house trying to get rid of as much stuff as quickly as possible. I was so excited, so we picked it up, we brought it in. But later, as she was examining one of the cushions back at home, she felt something strange inside. I felt something, I thought it was a heat pad. When she unzipped it and looked inside, it was no heating pad. Instead, several envelopes filled with cash, thousands and thousands of dollars. I was just like, you know, telling my son, come, 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 come. I was screaming, come, come, come. It's money, it's money. I need to call the guy. She did the right thing and returned all the money back to the family. We reached out to that family and they told us it was actually about $36,000. As a way to say thank you, they let Vicky keep $2,200, money she needed to buy a new refrigerator. Question is, why was that much money stuffed inside a cushion in the first place?
0: Oh, man, someone get that lady a Thermador refrigerator. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Man, so we don't know why all that money was found in the couch. They don't know why. But how amazing is it to get something for free, a free gift, only to find that inside there's even more than the grace that had already been given to you for free? And as Christians, we, when we put our faith in Christ, we get a free gift of eternal life, the free gift of salvation, this free gift of forgiveness. And then we find out that with that free gift, if that weren't grace enough, we have the Holy Spirit given to us inside of us. And last week, Pastor James taught us about how this Holy Spirit who is inside of us also gives us free gifts, spiritual gifts. Which spiritual gift in the original language has in its, in its name, charis, which is grace, a free gift. And so we talked about spiritual gifts last week. I want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 12, where Pastor James took us to. And he talked about how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts according to his pleasure, according to his determination. And I want to read it to you one more time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, if you have your Bibles or your apps. And here's what it says. Verse 4, it says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. That was last week. Then there are different kinds of service with those gifts, but the same Lord. Then verse 6, here's the focus for today. There are different kinds of working with those gifts, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. And so today I want to show you that not only does the Holy Spirit determine what gifts he gives to each believer, but it's the Holy Spirit behind them, and it's the Holy Spirit who will determine the product of your gift, who will decide the portion of your gift, and who deserves the praise from your gifts. So before we get into that, let's stop, let's pause and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us into his word. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for uh, what we've been learning through the series, Lord. I've been hearing just really great testimony of how you've been speaking to people specifically about your Holy Spirit, really opening up our understanding of who the God inside of us is. And I pray that today you would do it again, that you would take us deeper into the knowledge of who you are so that we can know who we are and how we are to live. So help us to take in your truth, to receive it well in our hearts, and help us to live it out according to your pleasure. And I pray that you would keep us from distraction, God, wherever we are, protect us from the schemes of Satan, and help us to really be present, whether we're physically present here in the church, or maybe we're at home, on the couch, or wherever we're watching from, help us to be present and in tune with what your spirit is saying. Fill us, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you, if you have a journal, your notes, maybe you have an app, uh, I want to give you three truths, and here's number one. Truth number one is this. The Holy Spirit determines the product of our gifts. The Holy Spirit determines the product of our gifts. So when it comes to using your spiritual gift, whatever gift that may be, your job is not to be fruitful. Your job is to be faithful. Let me try to explain to you what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 12, we go back to that passage. I want to read you verse 6 again. It says, There are different kinds of working, implying the working of these gifts, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. In the NASB version, it says, There are a variety of effects with these gifts, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And so the emphasis here is that with your gifts and, and the working of those gifts, there's going to be different kind of effects, different kind of results. There's going to be varying impact from your use of your gifts. And if the Holy Spirit is the one who put that gift in you and who is the power behind that gift, then we also have to acknowledge that it's the Holy Spirit who's going to determine the product of your gift. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So your job is faithfulness. He's responsible for fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of your faithfulness. So I want to ask you this question. What makes an ability or a talent or a gift a spiritual gift? How do we know if it's a spiritual gift? Well, one, it's probably mentioned in the Bible. But also I want to emphasize that it's not so much about what's being performed As much as it is about what is being produced. It's not so much about performance. It's what is the spirit producing. And if the Holy Spirit takes something that you do and time and time and time again, the spirit produces changed lives. Repentance from sin. A deeper love for Jesus. A greater commitment to the great commission. Hope for the weary. Encouragement for for the lost. Those things are Spiritual fruit that's being produced through what you do, and that in that we know it's not merely just a talent or a skill or an ability, but it truly is a gift with a spiritual purpose. It is spiritual, and that's how we know it's a spiritual gift. There are great influences in this world, and you know this, who influence many people and have flocks of people following them, but not all of them are leading people closer to Jesus. There are great. Uh, philanthropists, a lot of good doers in this world, but not all are doing good for the glory of God. There are a lot of really cool people who who will tweet out great sayings, quotes, wise quotes every day on on the Twitter account, but not all are imparting heavenly wisdom from God. So once again, it's not how well you perform that makes a gift a spiritual gift. It's what is the spirit producing? Through that. And it's what the Spirit decides to produce through it that makes it spiritual. I'll never forget the first sermon I ever preached in my life. It was to the youth group at my church, and I've never done this before, and so I put together this message, and I'm telling you, I had so much fun preaching that first message. I I mean, I I loved it. It was a blast. Like, I felt like, you know, really engaged with the, the youth. I felt like they were tracking. I felt like we laughed. We learned together. It seemed like the message really landed and was connecting with their hearts. Couldn't wait to do it again. Even more unforgettable than my first sermon I ever preached was the second sermon I ever preached. And it was so unforgettable because it was so... So miserable. It was terrible. Like, I'll never forget. As much as I try to blot it out of my memory, I can't forget it because it was that bad. I preached from Matthew chapter four, and it was the time when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the desert. And I remember calling it, the the title of the sermon was When Jesus Beat the Devil Until He Turned All Red. And in my mind, I'm like, that's such an awesome title. I think about today, I'm like, that's so lame. But I had my three points. I was ready to preach it. I was going to talk about this, this sparring match between Jesus and Satan. And that day, on paper, my sermon felt so awesome. I went to preach it, and what I thought would be a home run felt more like a strikeout. It was a flop. The only home run going on that morning is I wanted to run home right after that. Like, I wanted to leave the church, get into my car, drive straight home, hide under my blankets, and never preach again. I didn't want to face anybody. It was that bad. The Lord continued to give me opportunities to teach throughout the years. Four years later, my life was changed. And I'll, I'll never forget this day. It's a very vivid memory uh, A group of us from my church, were going. we were going to the Long Beach Rescue Mission, and there were high schoolers that I was driving there. They were going to lead worship, and then I was going to deliver a gospel message to the people at that homeless shelter, and I was nervous. Like, I was nervous about this message I was going to give, and it's such a vivid memory. We were driving down Atlantic Boulevard there in Long Beach toward the rescue mission. I'm driving. I got a bunch of high schoolers in my car, and I almost crashed. Why? Well, because as we're driving in this car, one of the high schoolers sitting there uh, in the shotgun seat says to me, Greg, I know you're gonna do well tonight. So you're gonna do well tonight. And then she goes on to say this, unsolicited. She said, you know, some of your messages I totally remember. And one of my favorite messages is when you talked about Jesus beating the devil until he turned all red. I was like, what, I almost crashed. I'm like, why would you remember that message? She says, that is my favorite message you've ever given. She's like, I was only a junior higher at the time, but that was exactly what I needed to hear. And I know she wasn't just saying that because she went on to recite my three points verbatim. You said this, you said this, and you said this, and this is how it spoke to me. And when she said that, I I looked at her. I said, Corrine, you just changed the outlook of my life. Why? Because I realized from that day on, and I still remember to this day, over 15 years later, I, I, I realized that my spiritual gift given to me by God is not about performance. It's about what the spirit produces by his power and his good pleasure. It's not about how well you perform, it's what the Spirit wants to produce through it. And I love that, you know, not Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, he affirms this truth. He had spiritual gifts. And among his gifts were for sure teaching and preaching. And yet when he used his gifts, he admits he got nervous, he trembled with fear. Might have even felt insecure at times, and yet he understood that it wasn't about his performance but it was about the Spirit's power. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 2 to the Corinthian church who he preached the gospel to. He said this in verse 3 through 5. He says, I came to you, Corinthians, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Believe it or not, church, your job is not to be fruitful. Your job is to be faithful. Does fruitfulness matter? Absolutely. Yet God will take care of the fruitfulness based on your faithfulness according to His power and His pleasure. For the Holy Spirit determines the product of your gifts. He determines the product of your gifts. Here's truth number two, if you would write this down in your notes. He also determines and decides the portion of our gifts. So not only does He determine the product, the Holy Spirit decides the portion of your gifts. He's going to tell you what what he's giving you, whether it's generosity or service or helping or administration or teaching or leading. And yet he's also going to decide how much of that gift he wants to give you. And I pray that this truth sets people free today. Right? Because in the age of social comparison, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And sometimes we can get down and depressed when we compare ourselves to other people. Or even puffed up and proud because of how we compare to other people. I pray that this truth will set us free. Turn with me to Matthew 25. And I want to revisit this parable that Pastor James shared with us last week. In Matthew 25, Jesus shares a spiritual truth through this story. And let me remind you, in verse 14 and 15, it says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away. And so here in this context, there's a guy with five talents, a guy whom he gives two talents, and a guy who he gives one talent. And you have to know that a talent in this story is a form of currency. It's like money. For us, in our modern-day language, a talent we understand to be like a gift, a skill, or an ability, right? But if you actually trace the origins of our word talent, the etymology of that will take you back to Matthew 25. This story. So we have some overlapping themes and ideas. And I want to share with you one of those ideas that has truly set me free. And has significantly impacted my mental health. And I pray that it does the same for you. And it's this this truth right here. That the master is not more pleased with one particular servant because he has a greater portion than the servants with lesser portions like why would he be more pleased with one and not the others when he's the one who decided how much he was giving each why would he penalize this guy for not having as much as this guy when he's the one who gave him that much that's just illogical that doesn't make any sense But let's not go on logic. Let's go on the text. What does the text say? And you'll see that the master's praise for the guy who is faithful with five is the exact same praise for the guy who is faithful with two. Let me show you that. So we go to verse 20 and 21. And it says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. That's a total of ten. His master said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's great commendation right there. But check out what he says to the guy who was faithful with two and who doubled that. In verse 22, it says this. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two more. That's four." which is still less than the guy's original five. And what does his master say? His master said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same exact praise. If you are a one-portion servant, By God's grace, or if you are a two-portion servant by God's grace, he is not pleased by you trying to be that other five-portion servant, striving to be that ten-talent servant. And I say that because we can go through life constantly looking to other people and their talents and their giftedness and their effectiveness wanting to be them when God didn't create you to be them. And we can go chasing after the wind. I don't know if you've ever tried to chase after wind. If you've ever tried, I'm pretty sure you came up short. That you weren't able to grab It's unsatisfying. And that often causes to put us into despair. And depress us. If we don't have a foundational understanding that the Spirit gives to each believer the portion that He decides, if we don't get that in our hearts, it's gonna depress us. And it'll give us a distorted sense of our worth and our value, and it will cause us chasing after the wind. By the way, I wanna mention that when we talk about talents and portions, it's not only talking about looking at people who have more gifts, individual gifts, like this guy has five gifts and I only have two, but sometimes we're talking about portion. So God could give one person one gift and another person the same gift and give varying portions, right? For example, he, 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 he could give you, he could give you the gift of leadership and he could give you the gift of leadership, right? But maybe he gives one person a greater capacity Maybe even a greater platform. So maybe you're going to lead 100,000 people in your lifetime. And you're going to do that well. And you're going to do that effectively. And maybe you're only going to lead a small group of 10 people. And yet you do that well, very effectively, better than you would leading 100,000 people. Same gift, but different portion of that same gift. And there will be times... When some of us will desperately want to be that person who has the ten portion or the ten talents. And it feels like when we compare ourselves, God has given us a lesser portion. And there will be this complaint, this despair, this dissatisfaction in our hearts. And I want to warn you because at the core that just might be a sinful dissatisfaction with God's grace and an unhealthy obsession with self gain. Be aware that in your heart might be a sinful dissatisfaction with God's grace and a toxic obsession with self gain. In my early 20s, I remember very clearly the words a lady in my church uh, said to me as early 20s, and she said, Greg, one day, you're going to become the Chinese Billy Graham. And I was like, what? I was like, That's like, God's going to use me to reach thousands of people for Christ? And little does she know what that did to me. That put all sorts of thoughts in my mind and ambitions in my heart. I'm going to save a harvest of souls. And so I got excited about every opportunity that God gave me to teach the Word of God, whether it's in my church or beyond my church. I, I loved the opportunity because I'm going to be the Chinese Billy Graham. And then at the same time, in my early 20s, okay, so this is the 2000s, there was another Chinese-American guy in our area. His name was Jason Ma. Same age as me, born the same year, and God gave him a gift to preach as well. And it was cool because I heard about him because he was going to all these college campuses throughout Southern California, and he was leading all these college students to Christ. And so all my friends, we started following him on his blog, on his website, watching his YouTube videos, hearing him preach, and seeing all the people he was reaching. I'll never forget when I got a call from Chris Chen, who leads our first responder ministry here at this church. And he called me when he was at Cal Poly Pomona. He says, Greg, I just got baptized tonight in the bathtub by Jason Ma. I said, that's awesome. Praise God. And then from that night, I, I, I watched this guy go from preaching to college campuses to megachurches. And from Cali- beyond California to states across the nation. And then not only was he preaching to people across the nation, he was going international. He's preaching in countries in Asia, holding these huge gospel crusades with big-time pastors. And then I I see him putting together documentaries with celebrities in the entertainment industry, preaching the gospel to people in the entertainment industry. And it got to a point where in my heart, I was complaining to God and saying, God, how is this fair? How is it fair that this Jason Ma guy is going global? He's known internationally, and this Greg Ma guy is unknown locally. Nobody knows who I am, and how is this fair? And I kept looking at him, and it seemed like God had given him a thousand portions of this gift. And he had given me, comparatively, maybe one or two portions of it. I would go to his Facebook at the time, and I would see... Uh, what's going on, and and he maxed out the number of friends you could have on Facebook. Facebook allowed you to have 5,000 friends. Well, he maxed that out, so they opened up a public figure page for him. He had 100,000 followers on that. So I go to my Facebook. What does my Facebook say? I'm not even close to maxing out the friends I could have. I don't know that many people. How many followers do I have? At the time, 58 followers. 100,058, and you're saying to... Uh, so you bragging, Greg, you got 58 followers? No, because 57 of those weren't even real accounts. They were fake people. One of them was probably my mom, right, following me, like figuring out what I'm doing. How is this fair, God? How is this fair? And I would see all that God was using Jason Ma to do for the kingdom of God. And I was loving all that he was doing for the kingdom of God. I really was. And I hated him for all he was doing for the kingdom of God. From afar, I would admire him, and it depressed me. I could tell you I was living in sin, a dissatisfaction with the grace that God has given me. And some of you guys are probably thinking, why are you sharing this? Like we feel embarrassed for you. No, please don't. Don't feel embarrassed for me. I, I I can say this with confidence and without any shame. Why? Because I believe that the Lord has set me free by his truth, and I'm realizing that my worth is not tied to my works. I, I, I could say I was a little bit envious. To be honest, I, I had been burning with jealousy. But the reason I feel like I can honestly share this is because I have come to realize that the master has given me the portion that he has decided to give me according to his good pleasure. And my worth and my value is not determined by how much I do. And so I need to stop comparing myself and complaining about the guy or the girl or the other servant or that other Christian or that other ministry or that other church who has such a great portion, and I need to just start being faithful with the portion that God has given me. And I want to challenge you to do the same, too. Pastor Wayne Cordero says this, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in this. He says that God will not hold us accountable for how much we have done, but for how much we have done with what he has given us to do. God, isn't that good? God is not going to hold us accountable for how much we have done, but for how much we have done of what he's given us to do. It's kind of like if I go to my son, Evan, and I say, Evan, here's your job. I want you to take care of your little sister. Look out for her. And he goes, and he for the next year he goes out and finds twenty four people with with little sisters, and he takes care of all their little sisters, and he protects them, and he provides for them, and he feeds them, and he shelters them, and he comes back to me a year later and says, "Dad, I took care of twenty four little sisters. You proud of me? Are you pleased? What would I say as his father? said, Evan, but did you take care of your little sister?" That's what I asked you to do. Did you take care of your little sister? Has she been protected and provided for? God is not pleased with how much we do, but how faithful are we with what he's given us to do? And if the Holy Spirit gives me the ability and the the responsibility to lead 100,000 people across the nations, then I will gladly do it with the help of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit decides to give me in my lifetime the ability to reach just 100 people in Torrance, California, then I will gladly do it with the help of the Holy Spirit and I will say it is well with my soul for that is the portion you are pleased to give me. We need to stop comparing ourselves with other people and understand your worth is not tied to your works. Your worth And your identity is simply and purely in the fact that you belong to the master. You belong to the master. And the master is not pleased when you strive to be someone he did not create you to be. He is pleased when you find pleasure in being who he created you to be and you using the gifts that he gave you to use. The master finds great delight in that. And by his grace, the Holy Spirit determines the product of your gift And he'll decide the portion of that gift. Truth number three, the last thing I want to say to you is this. The Holy Spirit deserves the praise for our gifts. The Holy Spirit deserves the praise for our gifts. In fact, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit deserves the praise. I want to challenge you this week, if you can, go back to the book of John. In your quiet times, read through the first few chapters of John, because I personally am Blown away at the example of John the Baptist when he's doing this ministry. This is before Jesus began his. And all these people are being impacted by what John's doing. Like they're coming to him to learn from him, to be baptized by him. They want to be his followers and make him their rabbi. And so he's having such an impact serving so many people that even the religious priests... And the religious leaders catch attention of this guy. And they want to find out who is he. And so they send some people to investigate. Go find out who this John is. Because remember, Jesus hasn't really hit the scene yet. So they're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting for a Savior. And so they're thinking, could it be this guy? And so they go to him to find out if he's the guy. And in John chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this. John did not fail to confess But confessed freely, he says, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Well, they asked him, then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He goes, no, no, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? The prophet? He answered, no, I'm not. And so these religious leaders think he is someone great, someone really great. Are you the Messiah, the Christ, the one we're waiting to come to save us? He goes, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. Well, then you got to be Elijah, the the man of God who was taken up to heaven without dying and then was promised to come back to us. He says, no, I'm not him either. Then you got to be the prophet, the, the prophet, the one that God prophesied in Deuteronomy 29. You're the prophet, right? He goes, no, I'm not. Put yourself... In John's shoes. What's it like to be John the Baptist when these high religious leaders of the Jewish religion think that you're someone higher than them from their scriptures? Even if you're not who they think you are, what does it feel like to be so revered and held up by the highest people in society? I remember when I was in high school, I was at West High right here, and at the time, in the 90s, if you're at West High and you're Asian, you're Korean. There's a bunch of Koreans there. I'm Chinese, right? So, so like, I, I ended up finding all these Korean friends, and, and I learned a lot about the Korean culture those years. I learned that in the Korean culture, there's, there's a lot of respect that you give, right? For, for, for older Koreans, you always ex- respect the elder Koreans. And for the guys, you have your hyungs, right, the, the older brothers, and <laughs> I'll never forget how I learned this because early on in my freshman year, I'd be hanging out with my friends. We are hanging out at the lunch table. And this one particular day, I see my friends. All of a sudden, we go from hanging out to all of a sudden, there's panic on everybody. And they start whispering to each other and speaking Korean. And they start reaching in their pockets, trying to pull out whatever cash they have. And they collect all this cash. And I'm thinking, what's, like, what's going on? What happened? And I look. And then here come three of the Kore- senior Korean hyungs. The three senior Korean guys come up, and they're, like, so cool. Like, they're just walking up, just like, they don't even say, they don't even say hi to us. They just walk up. And when they get to us, they don't say anything. They just go, mm. Right? And my friends start bowing to them. My friends start bowing and giving them money. I go, what? What is this? What's going on? Right? And, and then there's this little exchange in Korean, and then the, the three hyungs, they leave. And I asked my friend Phil, I go, what was that all about, right? He says, oh, they, they told us earlier that day that they were going to come. They needed some money so to be ready for them. And he said, but those are our youngs. And, and in our culture, if we, if we respect them and we do as they say, then they'll take good care of us. We'll be their little brothers. But then they, they're like, but if we don't respect them and do as they say, they're like, no bueno, right? That's Spanish, by the way. Uh, <laughs> in, in Korean, it'd be like "no chugula, right? Like, do you want right? to? you want to die? Right? And so, so like we respect them, and I'm like, this is crazy. And so, like throughout throughout the year, there would be days when they would make the rounds, and the hyungs would come over to our table. And every time this whole thing would go down, and I'm telling you, whenever those the hyungs would come, man, like the whole atmosphere changed. Like, the vibe changed, and I saw just fear come over. I mean, even me, I'm this Chinese guy. Like, I don't even have to participate in this stuff. They don't expect it from me, but, but fear came over me because they could end our lives. Like, they could, they, they could really do some damage, but as much fear came over us, I have to be honest, there was part of me that really admired these guys. Like, part of me was like, man, these guys are so cool. Like, what's it like to be them where you don't even have to say anything, you just go, "Mm," and people bow to you and throw money at your feet. What? How cool is that, right? I mean, what's it like to be so honored and revered and respected? So I become a senior at West High. I'm I'm a senior, and it's like the first week of school of my senior year, and I'm walking down the halls to my class, and you know, all the freshmen come in, all the little scrubs come into the school. And I'm walking. I see these little freshmen with these big old backpacks on their back. And I'm walking down. I don't think anything of them, not looking at them. But I, I noticed that first week as I'm walking, there's these, these Korean freshmen guys. And right when we're about to cross each other, they all stopped in their tracks. They all turned to me, and they all start bowing to me. <laughs> I'm like, what? Why are they bowing? And then I'm like, oh, they think I'm a young. They think I'm Korean. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I look at them in humility, and I go, mm. And I, I just keep going. Like, it felt awesome. It felt so good. I'm like, yeah, boy. And, like, this went on for, like, weeks. Like, every time they saw me, they, go, they bowed, and every time, mm. And I just keep, I, I soaked it, and I rode that thing out until they found out I was Chinese. <laughs> and then they stopped. But it felt so good while it lasted. Even if I weren't who they thought I was, I soaked it in because I was lifted up. Then I think about John the Baptist. Maybe a little bit hum- more humble than I am. They come to him thinking he's someone higher than them. And he does not hesitate to confess freely, it is not what you think. I am not who you say I am. I am not the Christ. No, I am not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. He says, there's one who comes after me who you're looking for. There's one who comes after me whose thongs I'm unworthy to untie. In other words, he said, I'm not even worthy to get down into the dirty ground and take off those dirty, smelly sandals of his dirty, callous feet. I'm not even worthy. Behold the Lamb of God. That is who you're looking for. And he spends his life and his ministries and abilities pointing people to him. And then he says the most incredible thing. I, I bet you know this verse. You might not know the reference. But in John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, he must become greater. I must become less. I must increase. He must increase in your hearts. I must decrease in your minds. I know some of you guys wear those he is greater than I t-shirts. You have that big old logo across your chest. that looks like this. He is greater than I across your chest. Or maybe you wear it on your hat and it goes across your forehead. John the Baptist started that brand 2,000 years ago because that covered his heart. And that was across his mind. He must become greater. And I must become less. I love how Patrick Fong of OMF puts it, he puts it like this. He says, live to be forgotten so that Christ would be remembered. Live to be forgotten so that Christ would be remembered. And I'm willing to bet that John was willing to decrease so low to the point of even becoming invisible, unseen. If I could leave Jesus on your hearts. Are you willing to live Forgotten. So long as Christ would be remembered. Because I'm telling you right now, if you are faithful with your gifts, you will see the Spirit of God do things that are way beyond you. Supernatural in that it's way beyond your natural ability. And people will be amazed. You might use your gift of hospitality to welcome a stranger in. And through that, you'll see their lives turned around. And they will go and welcome people into the kingdom because of how God uses them. You might use your gift of generosity to help a person in need or maybe to help that missionary do their work. And through those people, those people are on their feet able to pour out to multitudes of other people. You might use your gift of wisdom or compassion or mercy to walk with someone through their valley, their valley of darkness. And you're walking with them, encouraging them, praying with them. And one day you watch them go from the valley of darkness to the mountaintops. And one day you'll see them shouting for joy from the mountaintops, praising God. And some of those people are going to be shouting your name. Paul prayed for me. Regina would encourage me with scripture. Gary was the one who who, who would tell me to look to Jesus. and, And they were the ones who helped me get to where I am. And when they shout your name from the mountaintops, it's going to feel amazing. It's going to make you feel special. But are you willing to be forgotten so that Christ would be the one who is Remembered. And I pray we get that right because the truth is you are going to use your gifts to serve some people. And some of those people you serve will be jumping for joy from the mountaintops, shouting out praises. And some of those people will not mention your name. And some people will not give you that honorary mention in their testimony. And some people will have forgotten that you are even a part of their story. But will you be okay? With being forgotten, so as long as Christ is remembered. Because the reality of the church is that's how it's going down, isn't it? And I've said this so many times before, and I'm going to say it yet again, that one day the Bible tells us that the king of glory will return on his clouds. And the day when Jesus comes again in all his majesty and righteousness and holiness, the earth will shake and people will tremble. And the Bible also says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord. And some will say that out of humble adoration and some will say it out of dreadful humiliation. And I know that when we are on our knees, all of us are going to be on our knees because we're seeing him coming in all his glory, his majesty and power. I understand a couple things. First of all, you are not on your knees, and none of you are thinking about Jason Ma. <laughs> Praise God. You're not thinking, oh, Jason Ma is so awesome. And I also realize this. None of you are, are on your knees looking at Jesus thinking, wow, wow. Wasn't Pastor Greg amazing? (laughs) Wasn't he gifted? No, you are not thinking about me in that moment. And that's okay, because I ain't thinking about you either. You're not on my mind. None of us are going to be thinking about each other in that moment. on our minds, on our hearts, is only one. One who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Behold, the Lamb of God. And I just pray... That as we are on our knees and all those on their knees around us, that some of those on their knees will be some of the people that you and I got to help serve and use our gifts and use our life to help point to the one who is coming for his church. Amen? Amen. Behold the (laughs) Lamb of God and praise God for his Holy Spirit. He determines the product. He decides the portion. And the God inside you is worthy of all our praise. Would you bow your heads with me? And Father, God, it's with great humility and thankfulness that we acknowledge the free gift you have given us. The gift of eternal life, salvation, forgiveness. And that's through Christ. And if that weren't grace enough... God, you give us grace upon grace. You give us your Holy Spirit to be with us to the end of the age. And if that weren't enough, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts for free by your grace. And we just ask that we would be thankful and we would respond with faithfulness. That you would use us with whatever ability, capacity, and portion you give us. To look for ways that the Holy Spirit can start producing fruit. Whether it's to one person or a million people. Help us to point people to Jesus. God, we praise you. And we can't wait till the day when you, the King of glory, return on clouds for your church. The day when perfection comes. And I pray that until then, we will use our gifts to faithfully point people to our King of glory. We pray and we sing in Jesus' name, amen.